Welcome back to the Gritty Men Podcast. I'm John Riggs, your host, and as always, I'm here to equip, encourage, and inspire God's men to live God's way for God's glory. Thank you guys for joining me on this podcast today. I just want to uh, ask if you would please share this podcast with some buddies that you know might benefit from it, and I hope that this time that we spend together will be a great benefit to you as well. Um, on today's podcast, I want to answer a very, very important question, and uh, the question is this, who is Jesus? That is the question we are going to seek to answer today, and guys, as always, um, we're not about our own opinion here. You're going to find lots of opinions uh, to the question, who is Jesus, but we're going to use the Word of God to answer this question, and it's very, very important in our day and time. One reason it's so significant and so important is because every single major religion in the world um, has answered this question, who is Jesus? Um, but their answer is quite different than the answer we find in Scripture. In fact, in Islam, Jesus is one of God's highest ranked and most beloved prophets. He's a prophet, not God, but a prophet. Islam considers Jesus to be neither the incarnation nor the Son of God. Islam texts emphasize a strict notion of monotheism and forbid the association of partners with God, which would be idolatry. Buddhism, another main religion um, that you find in many parts of the world, Jesus was, according to Buddhist, an enlightened man and teacher. The leader of uh, the Buddhist nation of Tibet, which is known as the Dalai Lama, he enjoys a worldwide following of Buddhists and non-Buddhists alike. Uh, when asked about Jesus, um, he responded, For me, as a Buddhist, my attitude toward Jesus Christ is that he was either a fully enlightened being, which is called a bodhisattva, that's how I'm going to pronounce that, it's someone who has pledged to devoting their life to achieving enlightenment, and serving all other beings. So he was an enlightened being. Um, notice it's going to be quite different than what Scripture teaches. In Hinduism, which if you travel around the world any at all, we do have Hinduism here in the United States. It's not a major religion here, but obviously if you go to India and other parts of the world, you're going to find a huge influence of Hinduism as well as Buddhism. Uh, in H Hinduism, they teach that Jesus was a holy man and a wise teacher. Some Hindus are more than willing to acknowledge Jesus as divine. If he, is not, if he is not seen as uniquely divine, though, that's the reality. Hindus often worship many gods and goddesses. In fact, there's millions of gods and goddesses that Hindus worship. And so you have to be very cautious when sharing the gospel with Hindus so that they don't simply just add Jesus to the um, un unnumbered gods that they may have in their life. In fact, uh, they might accept Jesus and say, sure, I'll make him a god in my life, but that's not the gospel, nor is it who Jesus Christ is, just someone that they add to their list. Instead, some understand Jesus as a perfect example of self-realization. Now, there are lots and lots of religions in the world, and uh, the main ones have all answered the question to who Jesus Christ is. And the reality is there are also faiths out there of religion that um, call themselves Christian but have an entirely different Jesus 
than what Scripture teaches us to who Jesus Christ is. Um, some of those would include um, Mormons, for example. In Mormonism, uh, you find a completely different Jesus than we find in Scripture. In fact, when you understand a little bit about Mormonism, you understand their view of God is very, very different in that they believe God um, had um, basically sexual relations. He was a man of flesh and bone, so on and forth, with Heavenly Mother. And that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother had all of these spirit children. And they finally became so many of them that they became a god. Um, and they have all these spirit children. And Jesus is just one of the spirit children, just like Lucifer is one of the spirit children of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Um, and so there's all kinds of distorted views uh, about who Jesus Christ. Now, you got to be careful with Mormonism because they're going to throw up the Holy Bible, but they do not believe that the Bible itself is inerrant. In fact, they believe that it's full of errors and that the Book of Mormon, which was written by Joseph Smith himself, um, is, is, is absolute truth there. And so that's one example. Um, you also find Jehovah's Witnesses and some other uh, faiths that we can include. And I also want to include some that have a different gospel than the gospel we find in Scripture. And what is the gospel? The gospel is this. Man is justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In other words, you and I were saved by grace through faith in Christ, period. We look at that gospel and realize that Jesus Christ is fully sufficient in what he accomplished through the atonement and sacrifice to redeem sin, sinners, and to atone for sin and redeem sinners. You cannot add one single thing to your salvation in order to be made right or justified before God. Any system of religion Listen to what I'm saying. That adds any type of work to justific for justification outside of faith is a different gospel. In other words, they attach works to faith. That you have to do these certain things within that religious church. And these activities are required for you to stay in right standing, so on and so forth. And then you can be saved. One of those churches, and this is going to raise some dander, I realize that because I understand that we have a viewing audience that um, may have men of different types of backgrounds. One of those is going to be the Roman Catholic Church. They have a different gospel. It is not the same gospel that we find in Scripture. In fact, they even say that if anyone says that man is justified solely by faith in Christ, let him be an anathema. In other words, let him be cursed. That's true, and so we have works added to justification by faith. Um, you'll also um, have the other arm of that um, system of religion, and this isn't about what that is, but that's the Greek Orthodox Church, and you find uh, the same type and system of religion there, a different gospel. And this is going to matter greatly, guys, as, we, as we, are, we are in these days. Why is that? Because we are moving and building to a climax here where we're going to be seeing the, the new world order religion in this world. It's, it's going to be a mixture of all types of faith. And so what are we seeing in our day and time? 
we are seeing a massive pushing together of ecumenicism or ecumenicalism. It is this teaching of all faiths coming back together. In other words, here's the teaching that you can get to God however you choose to get to God because your way of getting there is simply your way of achieving um, your path to God. So it doesn't matter what religion you really are part of. We all believe that there is a God um, and we all have a different understanding about how we get to that God. Well, nothing can be further from the truth of God's word. God's word clearly says in John 14, 6, Jesus Christ, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. In other words, there's only one way to come to the Father. Jesus said, and you have to come through the Father this way, but by me. Jesus said himself, he is the only way to the Father. In fact, you can't even come to the Father unless you are drawn by God to come. And so Christ is the only means of justification before God. And there's, there's a reason that this is so important and so significant because you're going to hear the talking points all the time. You're seeing this massive ecumenical push of all religions. Hey, we believe in God. You believe you get there a different way. We just believe in God. Listen, here's the, here's the marker. It is this question. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God. That's who Jesus Christ is. And on this podcast today, I want to share with you what Scripture teaches about this. I don't want to just give a short little dialogue about what John Riggs thinks about who Jesus is. Because what I think matters zero. What the Bible says is totally significant and important. It is what matters, period. It is our standard for absolutely every way in which we live, we understand, and we live, and we, and we live in this life. It, it is our standard. And so everything we do on this podcast, we want it to be backed up with Scripture because Scripture is truth. It is truth. And so I want to encourage you guys uh, to really, really, really spend time in the Word of God. You're going to have to have it in these last days because the deception is going to be overwhelming. As we continue to move forward, not to mention this massive apostasy that's going to take place and is already happening before the man of lawlessness or Antichrist, before he has come uh, to power. Before that happens, uh, there's going to be some time that's going to be really difficult. So I'm trying to teach some of these things because it's very important in this day and time. So who is Jesus? Let's, let's just briefly say this, and then we're going to get into the Word of God and let it lay it out for us. I'm not going to start out with speaking and teaching on the Trinity, okay? But we're going to talk about it. We can teach about that um, but, but, and what the Scriptures have to say about it. Here it is. God is one. Okay, guys? Just, just write these things down. If you happen to be running or you happen to be lifting weights or you're out in the truck and you're out wherever you are and you're not able to write these down, you can listen to these later if you want to. But number one, God is one. God exists, though, in three persons. Three distinct persons. One God, not three. We, we are monotheistic. The God of Scripture is monotheistic. One God, three distinct persons. And it's one God, three persons, and this is very important. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are eternal. 
They have always been. They always will be. And there has never been a time when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did not exist together as God. Never was there a time that never happened. Um, the fourth thing is this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are each fully God. In essence, they are identical. They are not inferior in any way to one another. Yet, in the function within the Godhead, they are distinct. Yet, they act always in perfect unity. Now, this is very, very important that we begin to understand this truth. And we're going to answer this question, who is Jesus? In Matthew chapter 16, so I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, guys, but I want to go through this, and there's, I can spend hours here just going through different scriptures here. I want to make this very, very clear for you. Why? So you're able to give a defense for um, the truth of what you believe. You, you need to be able to give a defense here. You're going to find people out there that will tell you they believe that Jesus is simply God's son. Okay, he's not God, he's God's son. Well, that's not true. Is he the son of God? Yes, he, he is the eternal son of God. He always has been, and I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Um, the incarnation is God taking upon flesh, and what is he doing? He is dwelling among us. And that's not modalism. Modalism is a false teaching that God, throughout time, he is revealed in a different mode. So we have the Old Testament. We have God the Father, kind of God there. In the New Testament, we meet God the Son. He morphs into God the Son. And then when God the Son goes to back to heaven in the ascension, then we have God morphing into God the Holy Spirit. That is a lie. That is a a, a false teaching called modalism. That is not true, okay? And so God does not morph into different aspects of God. He is always, um, always operating, always has, always will, existed as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons, and that's the triune God that we serve, one God, three persons, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17, we read this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And if you were to ask a um, hundred people in this country or at your work or wherever you are who Jesus is, you're going to get a number of different answers. And Jesus asked his disciples this, and they said to him, some say... Jesus, that you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. You're the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And others that you are Jeremiah, or which was an Old Testament prophet or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, now Jesus here is present, and he's speaking of his Father who is in heaven. And we're going to, 
if I do a podcast on the triune Godhead, we're going to see throughout Scripture that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are present from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Revelation. They're, they're coexistent, one God, three persons. In John 1, 1 through 3, let's begin to, to, to look at who Jesus is, okay? Number one, the deity of Jesus Christ. Who is he? Jesus Christ, do not forget this. The Bible emphatically teaches this. Jesus Christ is God. He is God, okay? Now, let's begin. Here we go. John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So we have the Word in the beginning, and we have the Word was with God, and then here's this, and the word, whoever John's speaking of here, who is the word, which we know it is, it's Jesus Christ, and the word was God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He, oh, it's a he, he was in the beginning with God, remember, they're eternal. All things, all things. He's not a created being. Because all things were made through Him who is He, who is the Word, who is God. Who is the He and the Him and the Word we're speaking of here in John chapter 1? It is who? Jesus Christ. And what did Christ do? He is the Word. He is God. He was with God in the beginning. He created all things. All things. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So we see here in this section of Scripture that in the beginning, Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, He's also called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word was with God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, we find the triune Godhead mentioned there. We have the Spirit hovering over, over uh, the waters, over the darkness. Here's the Spirit of God present. And then we have the creation account. And we have God saying, let us make man in our image. Well, we know the Son is present because the Son created all things, and the Father is there because He is God the Father. We have all of this in Scripture throughout the entirety of Scripture. Not three gods, one God in three persons. In the beginning, the Word was God. In the beginning, He, Christ, was God. In the beginning, the Word, He, Christ, God, created all things. That is what John chapter 1, 1 through Three teaches us. So God reveals to us through his word that he and he alone is God. He is one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Christ, the eternal Son of God, he is the second person of the triune Godhead. This shouldn't shock us about the triune God. Why is that? Because we are created in his very image as man. We are a triune being. We have a mind, we have a body, and we have a spirit. We are triune, just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm one person with three 
elements of what I am as a person. And the same way is going to be true about Antichrist and about how Satan operates. He has his false trinity. He has what? We have the dragon, who is Satan. We have who? Antichrist, who is like the sun. And then we have who? We have the false prophet. Who's the false prophet? He's like the Holy Spirit. We have that evil trinity, which is trying to do what? He is trying to mimic what he already has seen and knows that exists. And as this new world order, Luciferian, antichrist system rises to power, this, this evil triune gathering together, all for the sole purpose of, of worshiping who? Worshiping the dragon, which is Satan, it is going to be very, 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 very um, prevalent in this world. It's going to get more and more and more. In fact, during the tribulation period, all who do not take the mark and worship the beast, they will be killed for not going along and worshiping the beast. But most of the world will follow right in suit and they will take the mark and they will worship the beast. Why? He's going to do signs, wonders, miracles, incredible things are going to be happening as the, the, the false prophet is doing all of these things in the presence of the beast, receiving his powers, authority, and all that stuff from who ultimately? The dragon who is Satan. And so we're going to see this, 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 this um, mimicking of the triune God. Satan has a mimicking of it even in his triune uh trinity if you will his evil trinity that will be present in these last days so christ is the second person of the triune godhead let's keep reading we're gonna look at lots of scripture so hang there with me if you're if you're just listening listen to these passages here we go john chapter 8 verses 53 through 59 there's going to be a lot of them guys so hang in there with me i'm trying to teach you from the word of god who jesus christ is He's being asked here, are you greater than our father Abraham? So the religious leaders are asking Jesus now, you know, about who he is. And, and they ask him, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They demanded. They wanted to know. Here's what Jesus said. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, and whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? They're saying that's impossible. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, before Abraham existed, before Abraham lived, listen to what his response was. And this would have jolted these false religious heretics to their very core listen to what he says before abraham was he uses this word i am i am now i want you to think back they would have known exactly what jesus was saying here because when moses was to go to the people and go to pharaoh 
and he was to tell the people of Israel who sent him to set them free. What is your name, God? God told him, tell them that I am that I am. That's how he referred to the name of God when he spoke to the leaders and the elders of Israel. And what is Jesus doing here? He is telling these religious, these pharisaical uh, heretics of the religious party, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he's telling these, these whitewashed tombs, I am, he's saying, I am God. I am God here. And look what their response was. They were ticked. Blasphemy was just spoken. So they picked up stones. They were fixing to kill him. Stone him to death for blasphemy, for saying that he was God. Jesus Christ himself said, I am. I am God. That's who I am. And then, and then of course, we know that Jesus slips out leaves the temple. Another passage for you guys to study. In John chapter 6, here we go again, in 31 through 52. Here they are again, this interaction with Jesus. This is previous interaction. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. You know the story. As Moses led the children out of Egypt, they're going and they're wandering in the desert. God's leading them to the promised land, and now he's going to feed them in the wilderness. As it's written... He, God, gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. From the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, I'm the one that's come down from heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he talks about the fact that what? He is going to give them eternal life. He is the, the bread of life. Now the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble <coughs> Excuse me, among yourselves. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one who eats of it will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for life of the world is my flesh. Isn't that incredible? That is absolutely amazing. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Here Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, and he's really defending against two um, primary onslaughts against the early church. There were two groups that really were trying to infiltrate the church, and they stood in opposition to the true gospel. One of them was the Judaizers. 
And the Judaizers were Jews who had believed in Christ, but were saying and requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised and to keep the Mosaic law and the feasts and the holy days and the Sabbaths. And so Paul was constantly, and circumcision, by the way, and Paul was constantly having to debate and defend the true gospel from the Judaizers because the Judaizers were, were not following the true gospel, which was we were justified by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace that God has given to us in his mercy. And so the other affront was Gnosticism. And the Gnostics were those who um, were encouraging these Christians and teaching these Christians that in order for them to really know God, they needed to find secret, hidden, mysterious knowledge in other places. In other words, it was enlightenment in the fact that other religions in the world had pieces and parts of the true, pure um, teachings of God. And that it basically also within the Jews, it was the Jewish mysticism, which is also known as the Kabbalah. And, and so these Gnostics were coming in and they were a front to the true church and gospel. And they were infiltrating and they were saying, listen, Jesus is not enough. If you really want to have this figured out and you want God and you want to know God, you're going to need to go and find this mysterious knowledge. And let me teach you and let me show you where you can find this. And it's in philosophical thought and it's in, it's in all of these things. And Paul, he hammers down in his letter to the Colossians. And he, he completely dismantles these Gnostics and he teaches and shows them it's all the fullness of the knowledge and wisdom of God is found in who? The mystery of God. And who is that? Paul says, Jesus Christ is the mystery of God. You don't need philosophy. You don't need to go searching for this secret hidden knowledge that we find in all of these, um, in these societies and secret societies and, and all of these places where we're going through initiations and we're going through different levels and we're finding more light and we're looking for the light. No, you don't do that. It is all found in Jesus Christ and you don't need to go anywhere else to find any hidden source of true knowledge and wisdom it is all found in Jesus Christ period and Paul here is writing here and defending the true fact of who Jesus Christ is that he is God he is God in flesh and he came in flesh and bone why because Gnostics don't believe that Jesus Christ was truly physically human because why the flesh is wicked according to a Gnostic and the spirit it is good and so Jesus Christ had the appearance of flesh, but it couldn't have been flesh because it is wicked. That's not true. Paul makes it very clear. He came in the flesh. Why did God come in the flesh? Because it was the only way mankind could be redeemed. This is the only way it could happen. Satan knew this was the only way it could happen. And that's why he tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to thwart the plan of God from all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and all the way through the nation of Israel and all the way into the very beginning of the early church. And everything from there on, we've had the enemy attacking God's plan and God's people for a reason. And so here in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul writes to these believers defending against the Judaizers 
um, later in chapter 2, and the Gnostics also in chapter 2 and here in chapter 1, and he is dismantling their false, erroneous, heretical teaching about the fact that Jesus Christ is not sufficient. He is completely, totally sufficient for absolutely everything. And he is God. So listen to what he says. He, Jesus Christ, in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember that? In John, he says that. Paul says he's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things, all things simply means all things, invisible, things seen, all things were created not only through Christ, but also for Christ, and he is before all things. Why is he before all things? Because he's God, and he is eternal. He's eternal, always has been, always will be. Yes, he is the second person of the triune Godhead, one God, three persons. Christ is the eternal Son of God. All things, he is before all things, and in him. In who? This is amazing, guys. In Christ, in the eternal Son of God. Listen to what Paul says. All things... All things mean all things. That means every last square inch of every far-out galaxy, every solar system, every star, every planet, every, every sun, everything in all of the universe is held together by who? Jesus Christ, who is God and who created all things. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, listen to this. In their case, the God of this world. Who's the God of this world, guys? We know who the God of this world is. The God of this world is Satan. He is also known as Lucifer. And who was Lucifer? Lucifer, we know, was what? From Ezekiel and from Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 14, we understand who, these, who, this guy, who this is. He's not a guy. He's a created being. He was one of the archangels or cherubim, if you will, or seraphim and cherubim are different types of angels. But anyway, Satan himself was before the very throne of God. He was one of the highest ranking, most beautiful creations that God had made. And what? He fell in his pride. He said, I will ascend above the throne of God. In other words, all the eyes that we read about, how he's going to be worshipped and, and he's going to be like the Most High and all these different things. Satan himself puffed up in his own conceit of his own beauty. What did he do? He fell. He sinned. And he led a rebellion of a third of the angels with him against God. And that is where we find now Satan in the Garden of Eden, which is fascinating with God's crowning creation which was mankind creating his own image and likeness here satan is in the garden of eden and what does he do he tempts eve and then adam falls right in place not taking his rightful place of authority dominion and rule over every single thing that creeps crawls or walks upon the earth he had dominion and authority under god for rulership and what does he do he is usurped by the authority of Satan, which had none, he gave his authority to Satan, usurped under Satan's authority, and ever since that, man has, what? We have fallen natures, we're born in Adam, we receive an, an, an imputed um, unrighteousness or sin nature from Adam, 
And because he ate of the, the, the fruit, God says, do not eat of that. For the day that you take that fruit, you will die. And what does he do? So he obeyed Satan instead of obeying God. And now we have Satan usurps Adam's authority. And, and now Satan, from that time on, had the authority given to Adam. And what do we have now? Now we have this incredible story of God's plan of redemption of what Adam lost. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, he has come as the kinsman redeemer, the only way, the only one that could redeem fallen humanity. Christ, the eternal Son of God, comes. He gives his life. The Father crucifies, sacrifices the Son, and he puts the sin of humanity on him. He atones for the sin of mankind. He justifies the wrath of God. He pays the punishment of all sin. And by faith and trust and believing in the work of Jesus Christ, we are justified and made right before God because in like manner that we receive the imputed unrighteousness and sin nature of Adam, because of our faith in Christ, the second Adam, we receive his imputed righteousness upon us and now before God we stand righteous holy and justified by faith in Christ not by one single work we do and what we find fascinating here is is the world is blinded by Satan the little g God of this age he still has authority to do what he's doing but that is going to be stripped from him because Jesus Christ has conquered death hell and the grave and he has made a way for God what to now be brought for man to be brought back into a reconciled communion and relationship before God of righteous holiness, not based on man's work, but on the work of Christ. And we've been brought back into that relationship. We've been adopted into the family of God. We now have the righteousness, imputed righteousness of Christ that has been put over us. We have clothed ourselves with Jesus Christ and we love Christ. And we have what? We've been what? Put into union with Christ. We are in Christ. That's what we are. It's incredible. This is an amazing story of redemption. But from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, it is God's perfect plan of redemption. And Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. You see Christ. Jesus says, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. No man can have the exact imprint of the nature of God because all men are fallen. And this is why Jesus Christ had to be fully God and fully man. Because all men are born with the imputed sin nature of who? Our father of the human race, which is Adam. We all are born with it. And so we have to have a man who would come and live perfectly before God in holiness and in righteousness, fulfilling every aspect of the law before God in perfection in order that what Christ would then do what he would what he would become sin so why that we could receive his righteousness god made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of god in christ jesus he had to be fully god and he had to be fully man because no man could atone for man because all men are born in sin 
So he had to be fully God, and yet he had to be fully man, because God, without man, could not atone solely just for man. He had to take upon flesh. He had to do this and live out that life perfectly. Why do you think Satan tried to dismantle what God set for Christ to do when he went out on his 40 days in the wilderness? In fact, Satan, even in Luke, says this, I have authority to give every kingdom that I have and all its authority to whomever I want to because it was what? It was given to me. How did he receive that? From Adam. When Adam gave the ranch away, man. And so the title deed to the earth, Satan has had that. But Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 5, we see something incredible. God holds this seal, this, this scroll in his hand with seven seals. And what does John see? John is there, and he's one of the elders is there with him. And John uh, is there, and, and the question is asked, who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals? And there was no one in heaven or, or, or on the earth or under the earth who was worthy. No one could do it. So John begins to weep bitterly. Now, there's a reason John's weeping bitterly here. It's not just because he has no concept of what that is. Or why would he be crying? Well, there's no one to be found worthy. He doesn't know. This is a very important document. It is the title deed to the earth. And then look. The, one of the elders says, hey, John, stop crying. And John looks and he sees before the throne. John looked and he saw one, a lamb, looking as though it had been slain. Who is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world? I'll tell you who it was. It was Jesus Christ. This is God's perfect plan. This isn't Satan had, had somehow usurped God's plan. No, he didn't. This is all part of God's plan. It's happened exactly according to God's plan and his own design purpose for his absolute glory. His absolute glory. How incredible is this? Guys, I can get sidetracked so easy. There's just so much amazing things to talk about. When we talk about Christ, what an incredible God we serve. Oh, we owe him so much. And that's why when you get to Revelation chapter 5, they're a little bit further in there. What do we see? We see the redeemed of the Lord taking off their crowns, casting them before the throne of God, and they're singing a new song. Worthy are you. Who's worthy? Jesus Christ is worthy. Oh, he's worthy for you have redeemed us to God. You have redeemed us to God. He is an incredible God. This is his perfect plan. And I want to encourage you today in that. All right. Sorry, I got off track there a little bit. How long have I been going? 43 minutes. Oh, my goodness. We got to roll. All right. Moving right along here then. Um, the incarnation God takes upon flesh. Fully God, fully man. Here we go. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem. Who are you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah? From you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. He's speaking of Christ, the eternal Son of God. So in Luke, um, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter one, we know that Mary here is going to be um, visited by one of the angels. In fact, this is going to be um, Gabriel coming to her. Let me see what I was going to say. 
one of the names that we find here is Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means what? God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. It means God with us. John 1, 1, 14. John 1, 14, excuse me. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In 1 Timothy 3, 16, we we write, read these words from the Apostle Paul. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery, mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed of the nations, believed on in the world, and he's taken up to glory. John 14, 8 through 9. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Did you hear what he said? You do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Notice he existed before this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who is God, in order to redeem humanity, what did he do? When he left heaven to take upon flesh, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Speaking here of his incarnation. In Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, trying to hurry through these guys. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form God, did not count himself equality with, with God to be grasped. I think I just read that one, didn't I? That's the full part of the verse. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That word Lord is the term given to God, to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> Jesus walked in, in perfect obedience to the Father, and there he had to. In John 5, 19 through 20, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all, all he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel." John 12, 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. You can definitely see here that they are distinct in the roles uh, within the Godhead. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. I've got a lot more verses, but I've been going now almost 50 minutes. And so I hope I've retained at least a couple of you to the end of this. One of the things, though, that I want you to see and understand, and we can do a whole lot more in-depth on this, guys, more stuff, is for you to understand in this day and time, especially as you see this big ecumenical move where all religions of the world now are coming together, which will be this new world order religion, and it will be whatever fancy suits you. And unfortunately, 
Um, there are going to be many people who give way to this. And you can speak with Christians today who call themselves Christians. And I use that term very, 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 very loosely and without a whole lot of meaning in this day and time. Because they will tell you, yes, they believe that Hindus and Buddhists and, and go down the list. that Oh, yeah, they're all in heaven. They're all going to heaven. They just have a different way in getting there. That is not true. Jesus Christ is God, and who we say he is matters completely and totally. So never forget this, guys. When speaking of Jesus Christ, when you are telling others who he is, he is the eternal son of God. He is God in flesh. He is the second person of the triune Godhead, one God in three persons. And so hopefully today, guys, you found some encouragement in this. You've maybe learned something today. If you have any questions, please, guys, contact me. Um, I believe it is john at greedycompany.com. You can reach me there. You can also reach me at one of the links here below um, that you can hit that and send me a message. Um, and, uh, man, I hope you guys are encouraged. God bless you guys. Um, I want to encourage you just to stay gritty, stay after it. Um, we're going to need to be gritty in these days. We're going to need a lot of endurance. God bless you guys. Until next time. We'll see you then.